All right, everyone, welcome. I'm so excited to be here with Scott Ritzma, and um, he's going to be talking to us about media and media on the brain. And I just want to make a couple of comments before we um, begin. There is a chat box that you will see to the right of your screen. So definitely leave us any questions that you have, and Scott's going to take some time at the end to answer those questions. Uh, so definitely put them in the chat box there. Um, additionally, we're going to have some polls come up throughout the meeting, and uh, you can answer the, those polls live in real time, and we're going to see the answers and the results as they come in. So before we get started, I'm going to, to give you a poll right now, and we'll see how that goes. So we have this poll going live. Um, when was the first electronic media device invented? And we'll give you a few moments to uh, think about that and answer that question. All right, so it looks like the results, I don't know if, if you can see the results there, Scott. Um, I cannot. Okay, um, well, I'll just tell you, we have most people saying in 1906, we have a few people saying in 1844, and we have um, one person saying in 1919, um, and we don't have anyone who chose 1948. So, um, all right. Um, so, anyways, I will pass this on over to you. Great, great, and you'll get the answer to that, folks, in just a minute. Just to start out, this is the overview session for media on the brain. And probably some of you have heard of media on the brain. We're going to be covering a lot of that same content that I've had the privilege to share at hundreds of churches and conferences. And here we are doing a, a virtual conference. What a blessing that we can have this technology. But um, this is going to be an overview. So it's a very short period of time from a six-part series. So right out of the gates, before I forget, because people are going to want the rest of the content, is there's a couple of websites on the screen. I believe the screen sharing is working and you're seeing what I'm seeing here. Beltoftruth.tv is where all of our content is streaming online. It's an online channel that we started. If you prefer DVDs, beltoftruthministries.org. Now remember also, this afternoon, there's a three o'clock session. Oops, I gotta change that. That's not three o'clock. I uh, typed this in and then was corrected. This is 4.30 p.m. Eastern time, not 3 p.m., 4.30 p.m. today. And that one, as you see the graphic on the screen, is not Media on the Brain, but it's the, the sequel to Media on the Brain that came out last year. So this one deals a lot more with social media and smartphone devices and all of these more modern technologies. Media on the Brain, believe it or not, has been going since 2012 now, but the content today, this morning, is still just as relevant as ever. You can see the Media Mind also at beltoftruth.tv, but be here at 4.30 p.m. Eastern time for the overview of the Media Mind. And of course, that one you can also get in DVD form at beltoftruthministries.org. Now, I have to begin with a couple of slides that will give us an urgent sense to begin this uh, session with prayer. And the first one comes from Martin Lindstrom. He worked for Apple. And what they found in their studies of the brain is what happens is you have a very specific relationship 
with your iPhone. What we learned from a very recent study we did was that there were actually two activations happening for people who are, notice these words, in love with their iPhones. Did you hear what I said? In love, because we actually realized from the study that the same area of the brain that is activated when you are in love with someone is activated when you are in love with your iPhone. Now that was a little perplexing for any normal human to hear like, wait a minute, these devices are tools. Uh, we like them. I like media, believe it or not, the media on the brain guy really does like media. We're using it right now, right now. But um, in love with like a relationship, like I love my wife and my children and my mother. That's how I feel about my phone in the brain circuitry. Another slide that will make us go, wow, we need to definitely pray about our media use comes from George Barna, and he found years ago that media exposure has become America's most widespread and serious addiction. He used the word addiction there in a clinical sense, not hyperbole. They just took the questions that are asked to diagnose addictions, and they asked those questions about people's favorite media, and they found already nine years ago that the majority of Americans qualify for an addiction to media. So having said that, why don't we pray and ask the Lord to give us wisdom that we would use these, these media as tools and not um, become so enamored with them that we really love them like they're a person or that we become addicted and it becomes a, a cycle of uh, a downward spiral in that respect. So bow your heads with me for prayer, please. Father, we are so thankful that we can be with you right now. We know that you are present everywhere. And I just pray that your spirit would draw near to each heart as we evaluate this, this information in light of the third angel's message, the three angels' message you've given us are such a blessing that we have a privilege to share and to live. And we pray that media would be a means to that end and not a stumbling block that would get in the way of our mission and purpose. And so we just pray for clarity and conviction and everything that you want, thy will be done. Help us to set aside our own opinions, our own preferences, what we want. Lord, we want what we want to want what you want. So please give us that desire and may thy will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, the answer to the question from the poll is pictured here. This is the first electronic media device ever invented. It was called the Telegraph, invented by Samuel Morse, and the year was 1844. Now, you might have thought I threw that number in there just because it's a fun number for us, but this was actually the birth of modern media. And why would I begin with that? Because there is a controversy, there is a tension with this media use issue. You might view it through one of two sets of explanations. On the one hand, God was foreseeing the rising of this movement to have media as a means to spread the three angels' messages. But the devil also knows he needs to come up with, in his evil machinations and schemes, a way to try to trip up people and bring in worldly media. So 1844, the controversy is engaged. Media begins as a front on that battle. And so let's try to redeem the media and use it to God's glory like ASI is doing. I got to say, by the way, I am a huge ASI fan, if you can be a fan. I, I, I just love what you guys are doing. And um, thank you for the privilege and the platform to share on media. I know that our hearts are very much in line on this. So fast forward now to 2018, just a couple of years ago. Did you know that the average American consumed 666 minutes of media per day? That's an ominous number right there, right? I mean, this isn't a fulfillment of prophecy or anything, but that is a very large number as well. An awful lot of media. And it starts from a very early age. Somebody sent me this one. 
And I had the thought, that's a parody. This is this is fake. There's no way they're actually getting away with selling these devices. No, but there it is, right on Amazon. The Fisher-Price iPad activity seat for newborns. We'll talk more about that this afternoon about child development and media. But it wasn't just that one. This one also, the iPod for iPad. So we are so bathed in media from the earliest of ages, we're losing a grip on what it means to be human, more on that this afternoon. I'm borrowing a little bit from the afternoon session right now, just because these are some very eye-opening ways to start, at a, start us out this morning, that three quarters of UK children now spend less time outdoors than prison inmates spend outdoors. Are we building for ourselves a virtual prison? These kids are on media constantly and outside less than prison inmates. Now, uh, Angie is going to pull, uh, Christy is going to uh, post another poll, poll number two. And these are multiple choice questions, really. I used to be a teacher, so forgive me for not using the poll as a poll. I'm using it as multiple choice questions. But um, you put that one up there, if you would, Christy. And um, they and you guys just answer that as it comes up, okay? And I'm just going to proceed. So you, you're you going to have to multitask, I guess, because I'm, I'm not going to be able to stop for too long. We got so much ground to cover. You've heard of social media, right? That we are the most socially connected. I put that in big quotes. Uh, most socially connected generation in history just so happens to be the most lonely generation in history. We're gonna talk about that this afternoon as well. Uh, maybe social media isn't really connecting us socially. If the more social media we have, the more loneliness we have. And this didn't used to exist. The cuddling with strangers craze. Yes, you read that right. That's an actual thing. Cuddling with strangers, yes, apps where you can hook up with strangers in your area because people so desperately need, I'm sure this is down with COVID, but this was going on in the last couple of years, cafes where people would go and snuggle and cuddle. So professional cuddlers who hire out their services to cuddle with this generation that is so socially enriched, so socially fulfilled, so spiritually fulfilled, Probably not. This is a struggling generation that we'll talk more about this afternoon. And for those who are a little weirded out by cuddling with strangers, which I think is most of us um, lonely, this chair will hug you back. And the inventor of this says it makes you feel like your mother is loving you. And okay, we've got a generation that is struggling with media, don't we? And again, from the earliest of ages with kids not being attended to, we'll talk about that this afternoon. They've got robots that will tell preschoolers stories with a federal grant of $440,000 going to help children develop empathy and to develop social skills by interacting with robots. More on that later. But okay, this is going to be the answer to the first poll, or the second poll, rather. For every one hour that the our young people are spending in devotions, how much are they spending in Bible, in um, Hollywood movies and violent video games. This is your last chance to answer it before I before I give you the answer. For every one hour, and this was academy students that I personally polled, for every one hour that they're spending in devotions, Bible study, prayer, books of any spiritual kind, I made that very broad, even like walking in nature and enjoying the birds um, and singing, whatever. For every one hour of that, how much time are we spending on just violent video games and Hollywood movies? So this doesn't include all the other time, screen time. The answer is 25 to 1, 25 hours. I think that was answer D. Uh, so if you answered D, you answered that correctly. For every one hour 
consuming spiritual food, we are consuming 25 hours of entertainment media, which is the exact same ratio of the standard American diet, by the way, SAD, standard American diet. For every one calorie that we are consuming from a healthy whole food plant-based source, we're getting 25 calories from the everything else category, which is not good and is killing us physically. So maybe this media diet is killing us spiritually. You get the analogy there. The Bible says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we, we don't want to conform to the world's ways. Our lifestyle, how we live in light of the three angels message should be totally different than the way the world is living. And in the process, our minds will become transformed. Literally, the spirituality and morality and the exercise of the will is right there up in the frontal lobe of the brain, as well as your reasoning. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Conscience, sound judgment, decision making, prayer and worship, discerning spiritual truth, empathy, altruism, the whole Christian life pretty much is happening in the seat of the will and spirituality and morality right there in the frontal lobe, which the Bible speaks of when it talks about self-control, loving your neighbor. And I mentioned, come, let us reason together. Now, the limbic system, that's this area here in red. This is sort of the competitor with the frontal lobe an awful lot. You'll see how media on the brain comes in here because this is that lizard brain, the evolutionists call it. We don't believe that we evolved from lizards, but it's the more animalistic nature, the fight or flight, aggression, fear, the lusts of the flesh, fear, stress, lust, impulses, worry, anxiety, anger, irritability, negativity, and aggression, limbic system, limbic system. And the limbic system is part of our brain. There can be, there can be a, a healthy fear like Eve should have known that that tree was a dangerous place and it gives a little signal and you elevate that to the higher powers of the reason and exercise self-control. But this area so dominates with all these toxic emotions and addictions and all of that. And the Bible speaks of that when your God is your stomach, your appetites, your lusts are, are, are your master, the desires of the flesh, the carnal mind, that would often be housed in the limbic system. So what does this have to do with media? I want you to imagine like you have a switch on the front of your frontal lobe right now. And right now it's on, you're thinking, you're engaged because this is not entertainment media we're, we're looking at. Well, I just gave away the punchline. When you sit down to view theatrical style entertainment television, it's as if the switch goes from on to off. And the limbic system, notice over here, theatrical style television is designed to produce a limbic impulse of some kind. All of the different genres of your movies and shows and drama, and they get the music just right in the scene and the dramatic elements just right. They put you in a state in the limbic system that's activating those circuits. And what happens when you exercise certain circuits and regions of your brain? Well, it's kind of like two arms. One arm's getting exercise and it's becoming stronger, the limbic system, when we're viewing entertainment television. The other arm not getting exercise, it's like it's put in a sling. The frontal lobe is being turned off during times of entertainment media use and video games, by the way. When you're playing violent video games, over time, the users have less frontal lobe function, they found. And the Bible speaks of this. It says, for the one who sows to his own flesh, the limbic system, will, from the flesh, reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit, the spiritual man, where the Holy Spirit communicates with the brain, and our soul, and we will reap eternal life if we sow to that. We want to exercise this, not the limbic system circuits of all of that list and have more fear, stress, lust, anxiety, anger, irritability, negativity, aggression. Now, you might have noticed 
that we didn't even really talk about the content of what's in the worldly media. It was just theatrical style entertainment television is having these effects. But when we look at the morality of what's being shown, it amplifies the effect even more. 200,000 acts of violence by the age of 18. 5 million video gamers. I don't even know the number of acts of violence in this, but they're playing over 40 hours per week for 5 million people. And the average young person plays 10,000 hours by the age of 21. So it's just an, an onslaught of violence and beer commercials, thousands of them, and product placements during the show that's not during the commercials. They're doing that hundreds of thousands of times during primetime television in just one year, hundreds of thousands. And then 79,500 scenes of a sexual nature that the average child is viewing between the ages of eight and 18. Now, when I was a young person, I would have said, oh, these numbers don't matter because I'm not going out and doing these things. So I can watch what I want, play what I want, listen to what I want, and the media is not affecting me. Well, I thought I was a Christian. I was in the church. I was like wanting to live in the world because that's fun and cool and pleasurable. And I said, well, it's not going to affect me because I'm not going to do it. Now, that idea already was debunked in Matthew 5. When Jesus, did Jesus say, all that matters is whether you go out and commit the act of murder physically? All that matters is whether you go and commit the act of adultery physically. Is that what he said? No, he said, if you're lusting after somebody in your heart, you're violating the commandment against murder, against adultery. If you're hating somebody in your heart, you're violating the commandment against murder. So it's what happens in the heart, in the mind. By beholding, we become changed. This monkey, they were studying in Italy. And not this one is just a picture of a monkey. But they found in the brains of monkeys, when they're eating peanuts, certain circuits are firing off. But when they take the peanut jar away and the monkey's just watching peanuts being eaten, the same circuits are firing off in the exact same way, whether he's doing it or watching it. And they were blown away when they found this. What they discovered was whatever we see with our eyes is interpreted by the brain as if we are doing it ourselves, not merely seeing it. So you're getting the spiritual implications of this by beholding, we become changed. An Amish young man had never seen a Hollywood movie before. And this is a true story. He went and watched an old Western film like you see here with John Wayne. <clears throat> and he'd never seen it, any movies before. Somebody was shot in a shootout of this old fashioned style movie, which are very tame by today's standards, right? It wasn't tame to him. He turned white pale and ran out of the house and threw up, literally had a physical revulsion to seeing that. And you might say, well, that's weird. But you know what? Maybe we're the weird ones. Maybe we're the frog in the pot that's been turned on to a low temperature at first. And then you're bathing in it. You're like, it's no big deal. But it's getting slowly warmer, slowly hotter. And you're incrementally being adapted or acclimated to your surroundings thinking it's normal. It's okay. When really you're on the brink of death, that frog doesn't even notice because the changes are so imperceptible. And then eventually passes out and boils alive and dies in there. The frog that's thrown into the pot that's already boiling, he's like, get me out of here. That was the Amish young man. And that's what we ought to do. We should see the things like Jesus. Uh, he, he had a disgust for sin. I want to have that same mind of Christ. And if we don't, what are we beholding that is desensitizing us? I don't want to get to the point where, as it said, as the Apostle Paul says, you can sear your conscience as with a hot iron. If we abuse the conscience by assaulting it with all of this worldliness, then it, we become desensitized. Satan's work is to lead men to ignore God. 
to so engross and absorb the mind that God will not be in their thoughts. The education they have received has been of a character to confuse the mind and eclipse the true light. Satan does not wish the people to have a knowledge of God. Notice this, and if he can set in operation, this was written 120 years ago, games and theatrical performances that will so confuse the senses of the young that human beings will perish in darkness while light shines all about them. He is well pleased. Now, what did it say? Satan can set in operation what? Games and now the games and theatrical performances back then, you'd want to get into the history and figure out, you know, the principle behind this as well. But also, do you feel like this is a warning for our day? These counsels were given to those upon whom the ends of the ages have come. And God knew what was coming down the pike and gave us this warning about media, even though it doesn't specifically state it, that it's video games. There's certain kind of games that are going to confuse the senses of the young in the last days, confuse the mind. And we just learned about how it does that with the movies as well. Poll number three is going to be posted. Christy, can you please post poll number three? And it's going to say, how many hours does the average teen spend on entertainment and social media? So this will be just across the board, all media use entertainment and social media use. Social media is gonna be an awful lot, isn't it? Uh, how many hours does the average teen spend in America today on entertainment and social media? And you'll see the options there. So go ahead and answer that poll. And um, at the end, by the way, Christy, can you, can you give us the results of these polls so we can see how people did before I gave them the, gave them the answer? Yes, absolutely. Um, so we're gonna to get to the answer of that one in just a minute. Um, I should mention for those who are coming on late, everything you've missed is at beltoftruth.tv. It's literally all of our seminars are up there. I'll tell you more about that as we as we have time. But beltoftruth.tv for everything that we're not getting to because this whole seminar is not one hour long. It's like seven hours of content on media. So um, also I, I, I need to give you this email address because we have this set up with an assistant of mine Go email her at beltoftruthministries at gmail.com. And there's a there's a discount code for people who don't want to do the streaming at beltoftruth.tv. You want DVDs. There's a discount code for ASI viewers today. So you got to email though to get that and that link to get the DVDs. Uh, also, there's a free download she's going to email you. So be sure to email Priya there at her name is Priya beltoftruthministries at gmail.com and she will get you a discount code for DVDs as well as a free download. Let's get right back into the content. The Bible says, and this is shifting gears a little bit, but in a very, very serious way. It says in Colossians 2 verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive. Did you know that there is an enemy that is seeking not only to inundate us with worldliness and conform our minds to this world and make it so that we have an imbalance in our spiritual centers in our brain, but he's literally trying to deceive, to, to take captive, the Bible says, our minds. And, and the Bible also says, take every thought captive. So we can, with the power of God, be in control, self-control, the fruit of the spirit is self-control, and take captive every deceptive thing that might come our way. But what kind of mechanisms is the devil using through media 
to manipulate the minds of the masses. I want to take you back 100 years to the 1920s. His name was Edward Bernays, and he was the founder of modern public relations. He's the guy that gave us mass media to begin with. Okay, this you cannot under you cannot overstate the importance of Edward Bernays in American history. He stated this, if we understand the mechanism and motives of the group mind, is it not possible to control and regiment the masses according to our will? That means the will of the elite, the powerful, those who are manipulating. He said, we are the ones that pull the wires that control the public mind. That's an ominous thing to say, but the rest of the quote here, he says, isn't it possible for, for us to control control the masses according to our will without their knowing about it. So people are going to be under a delusion and they won't even know that they're being controlled. Well, he goes on and says the conscious and intelligent manipulation of the organized habits and opinions of the masses is an important element in democratic society. Because in a free society, you can't control people externally through authoritarian measures because they'll vote you out. It's a free society. So how do you control the people? Hmm, here's how we do it. We do it through manipulating their habits and opinions. Those who manipulate this unseen mechanism of society constitute an invisible government, which is the true ruling power of our country. We are governed. Our minds molded, our tastes formed, our ideas suggested, largely by men we have never heard of. That's a chilling statement to read where he's kind of admitting and bragging about what they are up to. This wasn't meant for mass consumption, but among the coterie of the power elite of society who say this is how we're going to socially engineer the country, we're going to use an invisible form of governance over people's minds habits, tastes, ideas, which will be subtly suggested. And if you read the previous quote, controlled, mind control. This was warned about in Spirit of Prophecy. Through the channel of mesmerism, Satan comes more directly to the people of this generation and works with that power, which is to characterize his efforts near the close of probation. So that's now near the close of probation. He's going to use what Satan is going to use, mesmerism. That's hypnotism, literally a direct form of mind control. Is that going on today? Well, absolutely it is. Light and sound do the work for deep relaxation in hypnotic methods. This is from a text on modern hypnosis where they'll use light and sound frequencies, specific frequencies to alter the state of consciousness into a subconscious or into a hypnotic state. Is television the light frequency that's doing this? Is all the entertainment media flashing at us, flashing at us? Have you noticed how much it flashes? It's not like a still image like this one. I mean, it's every two seconds there's a new image on the screen. That's the standard. If you've, if you've ever watched the old media on the brain, this is media on the brain still, but I have to update it. In 2012, when we first did that, in 2013, when we recorded that, it was every three seconds was the industry standard for a new image appearing on the screen every three seconds. About three or four or five years ago, somebody was like, Scott, you got to update that. It's every two seconds. It's probably even less now. I haven't heard the latest. But is this going to have an effect on the brain waves? If you're in beta, beta waves, this is critically thinking. That's what you're doing right now, evaluating this information. 
prayerfully, spiritually. What are the implications for this on the deceptions of the last days, in the great controversy, in my life, in, in the eternal um, security that I find in Christ, in my witness to others? Are we living the three angels' messages? Beta waves, you're thinking about all of these things. When you slip down into an alpha pattern of the brain, though, you're in a slower brainwave frequency. That's uh, it's a signature of more new age meditation, a highly suggestible, dreamy, hypnotic state. These are sleep states, and you actually just pass through alpha as you're going to sleep. But when you're in an artificially um, sort of a mesmerized alpha state, it is a hypnotic thing that people do self-hypnosis in, in spiritualism and all of that. Well, the media is doing it. Psychophysiologist Thomas Mulholland found that after just 30 seconds of watching television, the brain begins to produce alpha waves. There it is, which indicates torpid, almost comatose rates of activity. Alpha brain waves are associated with unfocused, overly receptive states of consciousness. I should note that the goal of hypnotists is to induce slow brainwave states. Alpha waves are present during the light hypnotic state used by hypnotherapists for suggestion therapy. Viewers automatically enter a trance state while watching television. That is eye-opening right there. And this has been known for decades. I've talked to people in the industry and they're like, uh, they, they attend my sessions. One of them we did at a public venue and the news media came out and they put it on the, the evening news for that night. And the cameraman was like, I loved it. Thank you for sharing this. And the thing about alpha waves and everything and the altered state of consciousness, we studied that in the textbook in philosophy of media class in our communications program that he had graduated from. I didn't know it was that mainstream and taught, but that was something he shared with me. And Mark J. Ryan is a professional hypnotist. You won't hear him, but um, here he is uh, in his, in his uh, video explaining this movie um, Inception. This is in the full media on the brain seminar. You'll hear the whole clip. I don't have time to show it right now, but he explains the hypnotic trance that they take people into in that movie. And he says, all Hollywood studios are doing the same thing that they did in the making of Inception. All of them. That's an eye-opening thing right there. All Hollywood studios are doing, he says also he doesn't even watch TV and movies because he knows how, how it's messing with the mind and altering the thoughts. Even somebody who knows the techniques says, I can't fully guard against it. So I don't even watch maybe two or three hours of TV or movies all year. <laughs> and um, he says, they're all doing it. That's the key right there. Music does the same thing, rock style music. It bypasses the frontal lobe and our ability to reason and make judgments about it. This music, like television, can produce a hypnotic effect. Juanita McElwin, PhD, retired chair of music therapy department, Phillips University in Oklahoma. Rock style music, that heavy beat, that, that you know, the popular musical styles of our day actually bypass the frontal lobe and like television, they can produce a hypnotic effect, which is not just her and her scientific perspective, the musicians themselves have known this for decades. Music is a spiritual thing of its own, said Jimi Hendrix. You can hypnotize people with the music. And when you get them at their weakest point, you can preach into the subconscious what you want to say. Wow, they admitted it. This is what we are doing. We're preaching into the subconscious mind of people. And we can hypnotize them with the music. Another musician named William Ora said, we had discovered something that people knew eons ago that polyrhythms, so it's really the, the rhythmic elements in the rock music that are the key. He says they can be used for hypnotic induction. There it is again. He calls it altered states of consciousness, soul travel. Okay, spiritualism is what we would call that. 
And by the way, that's, that, that, that tells me that we shouldn't be surprised when you read in Second Selected Messages, book two, pages 36 to 38. I, I should say that again if you want to look it up. 2SM, 36 to 38. Read about the camp meeting that was held 100 years ago, plus where people were getting into this musical frenzy with worldly style. And, there, and it was, says there were evil angels. And it says that, that Satan in the last days will make music a snare by the way in which it is conducted. Let me jump right to Dr. Newberg and Waldman. They looked at different religious practices and they found people listening to charismatic style rock music with Christian words to it. Uh, they get into their ecstatic state and feeling and the prefrontal cortex is completely out. It says in that quote in Selected Messages, I apologize, I don't have the slide because I am, this is abbreviated, but 2SM, 36 to 38, it says, Satan will make music a snare by the way in which it is conducted. It says that, that um, people will be so confused that they will not be able to make right decisions. And it is called the moving of the Holy Spirit. That was, that was a quote. So I got all those words almost exactly right if you want to look some of those up, um, 2SM, 36 to 38. But this is another musician the drummer for the Grateful Dead, he said, everywhere you look around the world, people are using drums to alter consciousness. So there it is again, the percussive elements of the rock music. I mean, you need to have percussion in music, like a piano, the hammer hits the string and that's percussion. You need to have rhythm at least, or you, or you have new age music actually. New age music is rhythmless. And it's like, bing, when you've walked into that new age health food store and it's this kind of creepy music, you're like, honey, can we grab the almond milk and get out of here? You know, the, the new age music, it just puts you in an alpha trance, interestingly. I saw this on a new age CD, CDs. Do we still have CDs? I was getting rid of my worldly music and I was like, ooh, relaxing music. It was an end cap at a, at a store that I saw it and I turned on the back of the CD and it said, this relaxing new age music will put you in a wonderfully peaceful alpha state of your brain. I'm like, wow. So that's what that does. Um, so that's rhythmless, like sacred music. There's, it has, it has rhythm to it. So you can sing and the, the, the piano is wonderful for that. Cause it keeps everybody singing together, but he's talking about, I mean, look at all this drums around him here. I mean, he's talking about rock music, a drum set in and of itself is designed to have excessive quantities in the wrong types of rhythm. And he's made, saying it's going, it, sending people into, into, um, altering their consciousness. He says, I have discovered along with many others, the extraordinary power of music, particularly percussion to influence the human mind and body. So everywhere you look around the world, this is happening. This isn't like one culture and you're like this, these are the bad guys. That's, that's nonsense. This is, this is global. This is predominantly Western culture and the popular entertainment industry in which we find ourselves in. Uh, I already talked about Dr. Newberg. So that's the thing on music. Bertrand Russell was another Edward Bernaysian type. Uh, the guy we heard earlier who said, we will control the minds of the masses and they won't even know about it. Bertrand Russell also spoke of this. He says, perhaps the most important of all the modern agents of propaganda is the cinema, Hollywood, leading to almost worldwide uniformity. So the Bible says, don't be conformed to this world. But he says, well, here's how we're going to actually do it. We're going to get everybody conformed into uniformity, uniformity, conformity. And he says the great majority of young people in almost all civilized countries 
derive their ideas. So here's your worldview, your ideas of love, of honor, of the way to make money, of the importance of good clothes. So fashion and finance and your definition of love. Wow, is our culture messed up with the definition of what love is true biblical love, agape love, even marital love as God has designed it. That's a whole other seminar. But all of this is being shaped, he said, you know, two generations ago by cinema, by Hollywood, by the media, especially for the great majority of young people. And you can be in the minority. You can break free from this conforming and instead be transformed by the renewing of our minds. But it takes breaking free from the entertainment industry. That's the sacrifice we got to make to have our minds back and to have heaven for ourselves and everyone whom we can reach with the gospel. That's not even a sacrifice, is it? Like give up this, this temporal thing that just brings addiction and depression and mind manipulation and have Christ. I mean, that's a no brainer. You behold his character in Gethsemane, behold his character at the cross. You see the most loving, infinite, wonderful God. This stuff is just uh, the things of earth grow strangely dim. When you turn your eyes upon Jesus, he goes on and says, People derive their ideas, the young people, from the evening spent in seeing what Hollywood thinks good for them. So what Hollywood defines as good and true and beautiful is going to be adopted by the next generation. I doubt whether all the churches and schools combined have as much influence as the cinema on the opinions of the young. So we can say, well, we're going to do a good job with Sabbath school and with the, with, with, with the church school and with our children and, and bring them to church and have AY. And we're going to help with the youth and allow them to be exposed to the worldly media. He says, all your churches and schools combined won't be able to outweigh the influence of the media. And he says, the producers of Hollywood are the high priests of a new religion. This is not secular entertainment, my friends. This, and we'll get to that in just a second, how spiritualist this really is. I mean, we know that hypnotism is spiritualism, but you'll hear even more clearly in a moment. But back to his secular analysis, he's saying, this is how we can socially engineer the society. The result of this system of control is that any defects in the status quo, so if there's problems in the way that we are running society as the power elite here, uh, the defects, the problems will become known only to those who are willing to spend their leisure time otherwise than in amusement. So people won't even really notice. That's what Edward Bernays had said. We will, we will control their minds and they won't even know about it. And what Bertrand Russell is saying here is, is the same. People will not notice. There will be a small minority who are willing to spend their leisure time in things other than amusement. But these minority of people are most negligible. The great majority of young people are going to be falling into this trance, into this spell. There is, however, a certain instability about the whole system. In the event of unsuccessful war, this system of control over the masses might break down and the population, which had grown accustomed to amusements, might be driven by boredom into serious thought. And you can imagine the panic there. Oh no, the people have begun thinking for themselves. This is what God wants of us, right? But the devil doesn't want that. He wants control. God gives us freedom, gives us a mind to choose him. Well, the media wants to undermine that. And that's what they admit when they're accepting their awards. Movies are powerful, one producer said. Good or bad, they tinker around inside your brain. They steal up on you in the darkness of the cinema to form or, notice this word, conform social attitudes. In short, cinema is propaganda. Be not conform to this world. The founder of MTV put it this way. The strongest appeal you can make is emotionally. 
if you can get their emotions going, that would be the limbic system, make them forget their logic, frontal lobe, then you've got them. At MTV, we don't shoot for the 14-year-olds. We own them. So they're pretty braggadocious here and they're boasting of they're, they're going to own our kids. I'm like, as for me in my house, no, you're not. <laughs> you're, they're not going to be exposed to your trash. And But um, forgive the righteous. No, no, no. We need to have righteous indignation about this. We need to say we are going to follow God and not man. And these people um, admit that they are not having the best interests of our children at my, in heart, and that's putting it mildly. So um, let's take a stand, right? The greatest want of the world is the want of men, men who will not be bought or sold, who will, who will stand for the right though the heavens fall, who are as true to duty as the needle to the pole, who will call sin by its right name. And this worldly media thing, sin, we've got to call it what it is. And if people are offended, we want to, we want to reach out to them and show them a better way, but not be governed by the political correctness of the culture around us. Let's win people to the message of the three angels. Now, I told you it would get very serious about the spiritualism way back in the 20s when Hollywood was starting with their movies. One famous actor named Rudolph Valentino, where did his movies come from? Well, every night, Valentino's wife, every night she would hold a seance calling forth help from the spirit world in her creative undertaking. Then, pencil and paper in hand, she would go into a trance and start writing. After her outpourings were typed up, they were brought to the set the next day and given to the director. So the early movies in the good old days of American films, so-called, the movie scripts were coming from the devil and seances through channeling. Same thing with Mae West. She was known as a one-woman sexual revolution, very inappropriate. And Mae West received inspiration from psychic phenomenon. Her psychic recalls that she'd pace around the room saying, forces, forces, come to me and help me write a script. She would begin to hear voices and images as the plot was revealed to her. She would lie in bed in a trance-like state, dictating as the spirits entered. This is heavy stuff. This is real, deep, dark spiritualism that they were into in the making of an industry, of, of, of the movie industry of Hollywood and the entertainment industry. In modern times, the actors and actresses themselves admit the same. Oprah Winfrey said, this is how I see acting. I use my body to be a carrier for the spirits of those who have come before me. I tried to empty myself and let the spirit inhabit me. So possession of a spirit, spirits of the dead, she thought they were because she's in a historical film called The Color Purple. And she was acting in the slave community. And I need the, they need the spirits of those who've come before me, the spirits of those who've gone before me to inhabit, to inhabit me, to, um, to inhabit my body. And also the same thing by other actors like Peter Sellers, who says acting is rather like being a medium and laying yourself wide open and saying, I want a character to, there it is again, inhabit my body or I want a character to take charge of me so that I can produce what I hope to produce. Robin Williams said, but there's also that thing, it is possession. So he used the biblical word and he thought that it was empowering. We know how his life ended in suicide, tragically. These people are enslaved to Satan themselves. You might say, I'm mad at the founder of MTV saying he's gonna own our children. He himself is a child of God whose life was, been, was, uh, was, was bought at the cross by Christ. And we got to think about all these people and pray for them because imagine, imagine an Oprah Winfrey saved 
with the three angels' messages. I mean, the influence she could have. Robin Williams' life ended before that occurred, very tragically. Um, so these people are not our enemy. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. I mean, yes, they've declared themselves enemies of our children. So we need to be judicious and cautious and uh, have the have the the protection of our home that we need. Put a sacred shield around every home. It says in the spirit of prophecy. Um, but anyway, we've got the idea. Our battle is against the the deceivers who are the evil angels who are influencing them. The battle is against principalities and powers of this dark world, not the not the uh, flesh and blood in whom they inhabit. So Robin Williams was talking about literal possession here. He said, in the old days, you'd be burned for it. So that's what they used to do with people in, involved with spiritualism. They'd, they'd burn them. Um, Denzel Washington was acting in another historical film. And so we get these ideas, like, since it's a movie about history, then it's uh, okay. It's still Hollywood and Hollywood people and the spiritualism that they're absolutely steeped in. You ask anybody who's been involved in the acting community is absolutely saturated with this stuff. So this isn't like two or three examples, and that's it. Um, Denzel Washington said, how did, they asked him, how did you act in such a powerful way in that scene? And he says, well, basically what I did was got on my knees and sort of communicated with the spirits on his knees before the spirits. And then when I came out, I was in charge. So they said, you acted in such an in-charge way. How did you do it? He says, I couldn't have acted that. I couldn't have made a decision to play that part. So he got some help from the spirits, it sounds like. Very, very serious things. Now, this is not one of the most famous musicians ever, but um, right here, you're not gonna hear this and you will never hear this, but that was me um, playing in the band. Circa 1998, October 31, hence the ghoulish demonic Halloween makeup. That's me playing the bass guitar there. And why would I show that? Well, first of all, to give a testimony to Jesus' power to transform the life. But also, when I share the quotation from the musicians next, you know, you heard some of the actors and actresses, and that's hard enough for some of us who are so tied to and addicted to and in love with the world, but people get really uncomfortable when I start talking about the music industry because it's like, no, these people are like my idol. And I, yeah, that's the point. But we, we get this tie and this love to them. I was there. And so I show you this, to, to maybe get some credibility, like I also loved the world and was in the world and played in a band. It was just a small time local thing. We didn't, this was no big deal. But um, when it came to these musicians that I'm about to share with you, I listened to most of them. And I, there were other ones that I just loved and I would struggle as well. So if you're loving the world and you're like, it's not that bad, it's not that bad. I'm with you, okay? We can press on together with the power of Christ. And I'll tell you right now, the things that I used to love in the world, of the world, I despise them now. I have no taste for them. Zero. It's something that's disgusting to me. And you're like, how is that possible if you're, if you're steeped in that still? By the power of God. It's nothing in me. It's by having a transformed and renewed mind and no longer be, being conformed to this world. So who was the musician behind the music? Listen to what the famous musician Little Richard said. He said, I was directed and commanded by another power the power of darkness that a lot of people don't believe exists, the power of the devil, Satan. Okay, so was he clear on who was directing and commanding his career? Yeah, he said it as many ways as he could here, and it sounds like Revelation 12, doesn't it? That serpent of old called the devil and Satan, the power of the devil, Satan. He 
might have known a little revelation, huh? Yeah, this brother grew up Seventh-day Adventist, knew the prophecies, lived in the world, was in and out of the church. I've spoken with many people who his entourage came to their church while they were in town doing their tour. <laughs> so he was a conflicted man. And then at the end of his life, he just passed away. But at the end of his life, he was on 3ABN and he was he was um, uh, showing that he was with Christ now and that that worldly way is not him. Praise God, right? That's why we got to pray for these people. John Lennon said, I felt like a hollow temple filled with many spirits, each one passing through me and inhabiting me for a little time and then leaving to be replaced by another. Wow. Okay. So possession, just like we heard from those actors and actresses talking about the writing of his songs. He says, I don't know who the blank writes the song. You don't know who writes your song. Well, you're being inhabited by spirits. He says, I'm just sitting in the whole blank song comes out. This is what Keith Richards of the Rolling Stones said too. He says, songs, yeah, they think you wrote it. Wait a minute. So the anthems of the 60s and the rock and roll generation, we of course thought you wrote those songs. What are you saying? Well, same thing here. I, I don't know who's writing my songs. The Beatles songs, I don't know. I don't know. It wasn't John Lennon that wrote them. It wasn't Keith Richards that wrote them, wrote the Rolling Stones songs. He says, really, you are just a medium. It's like being at a seance. Songs come to me en masse. I didn't do anything except happen to have been awake when it arrived. Led Zeppelin's Page and Plant also explained how they received the song Stairway to Heaven and other music, referring to themselves as a musical medium. We've heard that word a few times now, haven't we? That's a serious thing from the Bible, being a medium. They use the word channeling. That's a word in the occult. And I don't think we need to become experts in the occult, but those who have studied into that or come out of it, they talk about channeling as direct communication, direct automatic writing sometimes. And that's what Robert Plant says here. My hand started writing. I almost leapt out of my seat. So we were channeling the music and my hand just started writing and that startled me. Whose hand just starts writing and they almost jump out of their seat. That was a very interesting statement he made. Another band said, it happens to us quite often. It feels as though I'm not playing my instrument. Something else is playing it. So not just the writing of the songs, but the playing of the instruments. And I've spoken with people who are like, yes, this happened to me when I was playing worldly music. And a voice, one lady shared a testimony with me. The voice of God broke through all of that noise and said, you realize you're not the one playing right now, don't you? And she was a believer. And she was compromised with the world. And she got up and stopped and left in that moment because she was convicted. And so these guys were frightened by it. Maybe they didn't even know what it was, but we all play the same phrase out of nowhere. It happens very often. It feels as though I'm not playing my instrument. Something else is playing it. Now, more modern examples would be somebody like Beyonce, who grew up in, in the church. And so she's still got right there her cross hanging from her wrist. But then she morphs from Beyonce over to this other figure, Sasha Fierce, who needs some additional clothing added. But anyway, and she's got this like, What's up with the goat skull looking thing and the horns on the head? Are you And no cross hanging anymore. She's trying to look apart there, isn't she? She says, when I see a video of myself on stage or TV, I'm like, who is that girl? That's not me. I wouldn't dare do that. I created my stage persona to protect myself so that I don't have to think about what it is I do. Sasha is not me. I wouldn't like Sasha if I met her off stage. So it sounds like it might just be an act. You know, you're acting demonic, acting like a Satanist as if that's okay. But it's even worse than an act because she says, I have someone else that takes over when I'm on stage. Just like all these others we've heard. Uh, I pasted here, by the way, the, the Baphomet satanic pentagram so you can see the resemblance of the goat image that that is what that's not just an accident. And you don't want to get into conspiracy theorizing about a bunch of, you know, hype and speculation, but this is just staring you right in the face. 
She says, when I'm on stage, I'm not afraid of my sexuality. The tone of my voice gets different and I'm fearless. I'm just a different person. Okay, we'll just take it from her quote. She says, things I do when performing, I would never do normally. I have out-of-body experiences. That's spiritual right there. If I cut my leg, if I fall, I don't even feel it. You don't feel it when you cut your leg? I'm not aware of my face or my body. I've never talked to somebody and they're like, yeah, you know, the other day I was out of my body and not aware of my face or my body. That's not normal. This is, I have someone else that takes over when I'm on stage. Carlos Santana was another, and I'm just giving you a smattering. There are so many more. So definitely get over to beltoftruth.tv to view all of this. I'm giving you like a few examples. And again, beltoftruthministries.org for, for DVD version, beltoftruth.tv for streaming version. But um, Carlos Santana stated that he had meditations. The entity called Metatron spoke to him. Okay, so you're having meditations and an entity is speaking to you? Okay, yeah, this is what he told the Rolling Stone. He says, this is what this demon said to him. We want to hook you back to the radio airwave frequency to reach junior high schools, high schools, and universities. See, the assault is especially on the young. Once you reach them, we want you to present them with a new form of existence. And what is this new form of existence? Well, he explains it here. Remember your divinity. And he also says he's represented by the eye inside the triangle. So why is it that all the musicians are doing that? I'm skipping that segment, but it's all over the place when it's their little occult code that they use. Now, most people aren't listening to like, there's another one that I didn't even share with you. Black Sabbath. Most Adventists don't listen to Black Sabbath because we like the right Sabbath and not this uh, false thing. Most of us aren't listening to hip hop, Jay-Z and Beyonce and listening to the worldly, you know, Rolling Stones singing about how have they have sympathy for the devil. But what more of us might fall under is a deception called worldly light. Yeah, we wouldn't do the outright rebellious, crazy stuff, but it's not all bad. So we'll do the toned down version of worldly. Instead of coming apart and being separate, saith the Lord, and touch no unclean thing and I will receive you, we'll, we'll compromise and try to do like a little bit of worldliness and sin. This is going to be a danger when we trust Hollywood with our souls and our children's souls. And I'll give you a few examples. One musician was saying this in an interview. We were doing witchcraft, trying to do witchcraft music. Okay, so this is blatant. Who said this, though? I'm doing the spiritual sound, a white spiritual sound, religious music. That's the whole movement. That's where I'm going. It's going to scare a lot of people. So who was doing religious witchcraft music in the music industry one generation ago? That would be the happy-go-lucky, clean-cut Beach Boys. Um, they don't look like they're doing witchcraft. They look like they are... Decent, decent fellas just singing about going to the beach and just singing pretty harmonies about surfing and whatever. Um, it's it, it, Satan knows how to masquerade, right? He knows how to masquerade as an angel of light. We already saw that with that warning in uh, 2SM pages 36 to 38 saying it will be called the moving of the Holy Spirit and it will be music that will capture the senses and it will be evil angels uh, entering in and Satan will make music a snare by the way in which it is conducted. So if, if he can masquerade as an angel of light, he can certainly masquerade as a respectable um, uh, Hollywood entertainer or musician, right? There's another musician that in the 90s when I was rocking out to all the worldly music, she the good Christian girls at my school were listening to this lady, Tori Amos. 
And um, she sang a song called Father Lucifer. And she said in an interview, I wanted to marry Lucifer. I don't consider Lucifer an evil force, she said. I feel his presence with the music. I feel like he comes and sits on my piano. Okay, don't need to add anything to that. Another, and we thought they were okay, would be uh, another musician from the 90s when I was listening to as bad of music as I could find. The good Christian girls were trying to find, uh, you know, these, these singers like Sarah McLachlan to be respectable about it. And she sang, and they didn't even know. They were well-intentioned. I don't mean to criticize, um, but they were deceived because she was singing about in the arms of an angel. And you might be like, yes, an angel of God. This is a nice Christian song and it doesn't have the heavy rock beat to it. And uh, which angel though, is she aligned with? She says, I think the devil has gotten a bad rap. The devil is the fallen angel, the one who was willing to embrace the dark side. Whereas all the other angels were in total denial. The devil is more like us. So we identify with the devil. He's like us. He was willing to embrace the dark side like us. So which side are we on here? This is not okay. Now, this one really surprises me because under the end, we thought they were okay. Heading would be 1950s sitcom entertainment. You're like, okay, I got you with the music industry. I got you with the 20s and 30s crazy, you know, Hollywood pushing the edges and stuff. But we had a, we had a, a age of enlightenment and truth and a rebirth of morality in the 1950s. It was family values central. It was father knows best. It was Ward Cleaver. It was Andy Griffith into the 60s as well until the craziness started happening. So some people who lived through that were like, yeah, the TV is okay. Bring it into the home. My own grandfather actually was a salesman for Zenith televisions. I laugh because of the irony of this because my mission in life largely for the last eight years has been this seminar of me to helping people free from worldly media. And I maybe I'm making up for the uh, the damage that's been done in the past. He was a, God, a good godly man uh, because people in the 50s were under the impression that this entertainment is harmless, right? But then they slip into the scene, into the show, I Love Lucy, a seance. Do you see it there? That's, a, that's an actual seance. And now it's cute and funny. And we think, oh, it's not that bad. You know, we'll just be discerning and we'll watch the good stuff and not watch the bad stuff and just be a part of the Hollywood culture. And try to filter through it. And then they slam you with this while you're under an altered state of consciousness and the frontal lobe is shut down and we're not reasoning as well because it's entertainment television. She also said in an interview, it was the spirit of actress Carol Lombard who guided, this is a book about her actually, I did, I, not an interview, my mistake. She, uh, the, the, the book, uh, Hollywood and the Supernatural speaks of Lucille Ball, that it was the spirit of actress Carol Lombard who guided Lucille Ball into taking a chance and accepting the offer to star in I Love Lucy. The glamorous comedian, Carol Lombard, who had died in an airplane crash in 1942, appeared to Lucy in 1951. Because Lucille Ball accepted the spirit's urging to take a chance, honey, she made television history. Okay, so she got this, this, this part in this show to play Lucy in I Love Lucy from the advice of, uh, of a spirit. That's, um, that's pretty serious stuff there, isn't it? My, well, the devil's going to leave the children alone, right? I mean, there could not be anything wrong with Disney. Um, check out another ministry called Little Light Ministry. Fantastic ministry. They've got a documentary called Magic Kingdom. Um, take a look at that and you'll see a lot more about Disney. But can I share one thing with you from the movie Aladdin? Some of this you'll find in that documentary. Uh, Magic Kingdom, the Little Light Ministries, uh, Little Light Studios. And so here you go with Aladdin and Jasmine. And I got to go quickly through this. And then we're going to do Q&A, and I'll give you the answer to the final poll um, shortly.
But the, the theme of this, of course, is he is trying to win her heart and woo her heart away from her father. Her father is a king and is her father. So you're seeing the analogy already, the father, the king. All right, so that's God. She's the daughter. Here's Aladdin trying to get her away from the father, away from the king on some scandalous at night escapade, which is, you know, pretty bad to begin with, even if there's no spiritual analogy here. <clears throat> but the spiritual analogy gets very, very evident that this is not an accident. He starts and sings, no one to tell us no or where to go. Is that the message that we're going for with our children? No one to tell us no. He sings, tell me, princess, when is the last time you let your heart decide? And he, for a job, steals. And so he's a professional thief, which the devil comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Also, he goes above the clouds. Lucifer said, I will ascend above the clouds. And he takes her up on a high elevation and sings to her, I can show you the world. Now, I've read somewhere in the Bible, somebody who took Jesus up on a high elevation and showed him the world. So he says, I can show you the world. And it's splendid. And in your Bible, you will read the devil took Jesus up on a high mountain and showed him the world in its splendor. I can show you the world and it's shining, shimmering, splendid. It's almost word for word from Matthew 4. Is there, are these accidents and coincidence? Maybe, maybe, but um, it's evil and the wrong message no matter what. Maybe the devil was involved in this like these actors and actresses and screenwriters and filmmakers and musicians. But no matter how this happened, it happened and it's there for us to evaluate. And then there's another scene where he grabs a piece of fruit he hands it to Eve. I'm sorry, that's Jasmine, not Eve. I don't know how I make that mistake every time that I share this, but um, uh, there you go. And, she, and he sings to her, I can open your eyes. Okay, I'm done. Um, you know, I, you don't want to leap to conclusions, but at that point, you couldn't get more clear. It's like half the references to the devil in the Bible show up in this song. And I'm leaving some out. I normally have my notes. Um, this is full screen, so I don't see my notes. But anyway, um, we got to go forward because I got I to gotta show you one last quote here. And this is from Faruza Balk. And um, she was a top left here, an actress in this movie, The Craft. It was about witchcraft. And she was asked by a, a journalist, now witchcraft, I've heard that some of you are actually doing this in Hollywood. And she said, oh yeah, a lot of actors um, who don't mention their names, of course, are very much into this. Now, how much, what percent, what, what fraction, what proportion? We don't know, it's just a lot. That's enough for me because if I'm at a buffet and I'm going for the good food, I'm like, it's not all bad. Like I'm avoiding the you know bacon and everything, but I'm there to get the good things. And then somebody from the kitchen's like, hey, did you know that the spinach dish has poison in it? They added poison to tonight's meal and it's in the spinach like, and we thought they were okay. I'm not going to eat the spinach. And then somebody else tells you, did you know that there's poison in the carrot dish? I'm like family, family meeting. Should we eat at this restaurant anymore? No, they didn't say the potato salad had poison in it. And I really want the potato salad. <laughs> you probably are taking a pretty big risk at this point, staying at this restaurant, right? And then somebody from the kitchen comes in like, hey, I know the insiders. And a lot, a lot of this buffet is full of poison. We would find something better because Jesus said to Adam and Eve, of, he said, of these, speaking of the trees in the garden, of these ye may freely eat. Doesn't that sound liberating? Like, I don't have to love the world because if any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So it's either or. You can't serve two masters here. 
but but the, the freeing thing about breaking free from the world is not only addiction and other things we're going to talk about, but it's God's way is really, really enjoyable. And I'm so sad that I'm out of time because that was my next my next stuff here about the brain and what happens when you're addicted to pornography. It, it, it literally wears away, it eats away at your prefrontal cortex. And this is the brain of a cocaine addict. And this is a brain of a pornography addict. And you're like totally messing yourself up when you're addicted to media. And God wants us to be, oh yeah, that's the series on lust. You definitely need to view that series. Every guy who has eyes view the greater lust. That's all of us. Because we all need greater victories in this, in this area of our lives. Being enslaved to purity in a pornographic world is streaming and is DVDs. And be sure to send an email to beltoftruthministries at gmail.com so um, Priya can send you the discount code so you can get that. Um, I'll leave that up for just a second. But God wants us to have joy, right? And what he's the leading expert on how to bring happiness and joy into our lives, right? So he's going to design a way of living where if we follow his will, we will actually have greater pleasure. You know, God is better at pleasure than Satan. Worldly pleasure of any kind, Satan throws at you and it hits you with an enormous amount of dopamine, but then you start shutting down dopamine receptors and then you need more of it. And it's like an addict, you need a greater dose or a greater frequency of the drug and you're unsatisfied when you don't have it. I think I've got an image actually of, of the brain. There it is. These people who are drug addicted have less pleasure than people who are, who are normal. So what I had here was the more media you consume, the less happy you are. Does God want us to be happy? Of course he does. He opens his hand and satisfies the desire of every living thing. Just all the ways that he can bring pleasure to us, whether helping somebody in a developing nation or sharing the truth, enjoying nature, marriage, family, accomplishing a difficult task, enjoying nutritious food, not addictive food. Pleasure God's way works better. When we seek pleasure, we're putting the cart before the horse and we're messing it up big time. So uh, we'll have to skip that, but Here's the bottom line where we need to end. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Don't you want to love the word of God? And I could go to all the brain science. It's all in the full seminars, including that stuff I skipped, that when we reset and renew, we have more joy, not only in life as God designed it, but in his word. And if we're sated with the world, we're going to loathe honey. And God's word is the honey. And I don't want to loathe God's word. I don't want to be in the pleasure trap where these mice would tap this lever in 1954 and give themselves an addictive hit in their brain and to the point where they stopped eating their food. Literally, they stopped eating normal food because it was distasteful to them. All they wanted was the, was the addiction, was the pleasure hit of that lever, and they died. They were on the brink of death. Some of them died, actually, of lack of, of, of food. Are we dying of the lack of spiritual food? So I'm going to hand it over now. I got to do this quote, Christy. Get ready right after this quote. And this is the definitely the last one because this I know this is where it ends. If we do not receive the religion of Christ by feeding upon the word of God, we shall not be entitled to an entrance into the city of God. So we're feeding. We love the word of God. Earthly food, though, educates our tastes to love worldly things. And then we wouldn't be fitted for the heavenly courts. We could not appreciate heaven if we're educating our tastes to love worldly things. We would get up there and the voices of the angels and the music of their harps would not satisfy us. We'd be like, it's so boring here. Where's my entertainment? Where's my spectator sports? Where's my video games? The music of these angels is so dull. They just keep going on like harps. Come on, I can't handle that. So the science of heaven would be as an enigma to our minds, a mystery. Why do people like it up here? 
So if we can hunger and thirst for the righteousness of Christ, that's the solution. Detach from all the entertainment. Get into the word. and You'll develop that taste to love the sweetness of Jesus and his righteousness. Christy, the floor is yours. Thank you so much, Scott. That was a very, very interesting um, presentation that you gave. I think everyone really um, got a lot of enjoyment out of that, I'm sure. And so thank you for that. Now, you talked a lot about, um, you talked a lot about how you are just giving like the short version here and people can find um, more information or go and see like the kind of your whole presentation. I think you mentioned it was seven hours long or something. Um, can you show us how you, how, how are we going to access that? Let me go right over here to just show you how to type it in. Just go up to your URLs. Very simple beltoftruth.tv. It was the one that I was talking about the whole time. This is where it's all streaming. You go to content, it's a get a subscription and you'll see the media mind. That's the one we're doing this afternoon. Uh, media on the brain here. That's the one we just touched on now. The six part series on lust. Uh, current events and prophecy is huge right now. COVID dystopia, freedom's 11th hour. A six-part series. Second Beast Rising, a 22-part series on current events and prophecy. This one's very much about religious liberty. We've got the latest videos, one on the abortion movement with Margaret Sanger and planned eugenicide, um, parenting seminars, raising the remnant, schooled, undoctrinated, uh, all kinds of stuff. So just go to beltoftruth.tv for the streaming and, of course, beltoftruthministries.org to get DVDs of the seminars. And don't forget to get a discount code. Don't order the DVDs until you email beltoftruthministries at gmail.com because, um, you know, you'll see the, the DVDs here, but you'll want to get a discount to code. It's massive. And she's going to send you something free as well. So um, hopefully nobody put in an order before they got that. But if, if you did, uh, email us, email, email beltoftruthministries at gmail.com. We'll see if we can apply the, the discount after. All right. Let's... Um, Let's stop share and I'll go back to you. All right, here we are. All right. Awesome. Well, all right, everyone. So, I mean, everyone likes free stuff and likes discounts. So definitely make sure you go and um, check that out. And um, we do have one question here that came up. Um, Juan Cabrera asks, aren't some of the Christian music being played, heard and sung at church at the same level of what Hollywood is doing? Um, as far as the musical style goes, yes, I've heard things. Uh, musical style that is mimicking exactly the what what the music industry does. Um, so I mean I, I can't make an across the board statement like at every church or the church, but I have definitely seen individual examples where I was not comfortable at all. And I'm not even talking about played um, like like on a track. Sometimes we feel like if it's on a music track that we can push the envelope more. Like what? It's still the same kind of music whether you have a drum set there playing it live or you have it playing on the music track. I, I don't get that distinction, but I, I've seen the live rock music and I'm like, whoa. And they invited me to speak there sometimes. I'm like, do you realize who you invited? Um, but uh, you know, don't always try to be tactful. And it's, it's not like they're the enemy and they're the bad guys. Like we love everybody. Everybody, we need to have the love of Christ. Um, so we do have a problem uh, that we got to face though and tackle. I think that's what Juan is getting into. Um, and, you know, just sharing material is one way you can help people with that. That's material that's done in a non-confrontational, non-condemning way. Um, if I can be of any help to that with our, with our DVDs and stuff, um, discs three and four of Media on the Brain are about music. Um, Christian Berdahl has a great ministry dealing with the music topic. 
I believe he's been at ASI before as well, um, Shepherd's Call. And Distraction Dilemma is his series, uh, much more exhaustive than my little touching on music. And I cover a lot of the same stuff from him as well. Learned a lot from him, quite honestly. So um, anyway, great guy, Christian Berdahl. And yeah, good question about music. We got to deal with that one. Yeah, thank you so much for answering that. And just a note, we do have a few more minutes for questions. So um, guys, feel free, viewers, feel free, submit your questions because this is an awesome opportunity to have Scott answer them. Um, while we're waiting for some more questions to come in, um, you do mention that uh, the media is really impacting kind of our, our emotions. I think you mentioned media can make you feel angry or aggressive. Now, I've heard some people say that, um, you know, listening to a certain song makes them happy or makes them feel at peace or in love or whatever. What kind of are your thoughts about that? So, so media that doesn't necessarily make you feel any of those negative emotions, but more positive emotions. Yeah, you know, emotions are a tough thing because you're gauging kind of a perception of what's going on in your brain. So, and that's a reality. There's, there is that feeling, uh, but you want to go beyond just gauging the morality of something based upon the perception of my feeling. Um, so, you know, you could have a worldly musical style that gives you happiness and peace, and it may not be healthy for the brain. It may not bring the best balance and the, and, and the best um, spirit into it, quite literally. Um, but at the same time, music is a wonderful, varied and beautiful thing that can express different emotions. And that's one of the one of the what's what music is really actually one of the music theorists that I that I've listened to his statement on it. He says music is the expression of how the feelings feel. Uh, music is an emotive expression. And I'm not speaking of the lyrics. That's that's poetry. That's that, that combines with music to make something beautiful. But music itself communicates something. And um, the question is, is it communicates, communicating something that's holy and uplifting to Christ? There's a couple of music musicologists that I quote, um, one of them who, who spoke directly to Christians. And he said, you realize what you're doing when you play what would be the music industry's music and add your, your Christian words to it? It's a contradiction. And he says, what, what your Christian music is communicating is is um, anger and sex. And I was like, whoa, okay. Which makes sense because that's kind of the, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll kind of thing. Um, but, you know, music can also communicate reverence. It can communicate joy. It can communicate peace. Kind of like the person who, or yeah, did somebody ask that question? Yeah, or did you ask that, Chris? That was my question. Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So they can communicate all of those, all of those things. And we got to choose the, the right ones. And, 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 and judge it as best we can. What we do know about the rock style, drum set style, heavily rhythmic music is that it does things to the brain that no matter what we're feeling, I wouldn't touch it with a 10 foot pole. I just don't listen to it in my car, in the church, on a track, in live music, nothing. Cause I, I, I've lived it and I know that sound and I know what the science says about that sound and what the musicians themselves say about that style and where it comes from and its origins being in paganism and all that. So, um, yeah, I think that that pretty much handles that. Uh, reverence and joy are the best emotions to be mm. communicating Christian themes with, sacred yeah. music. And there is such a thing as sacred music, by the way. Um, you might say, well, you know, there, it's, it's all, as long as we put Christian words to it, it becomes sacred. But there's a, there's a sound that's not sacred and a sound that is sacred. Mm. Um, it says in Spirit of Prophecy, sacred music is not congenial to some people's tastes. Uh, so there is, and we want to have a taste for it too. So there is such a thing. And we want to have a taste for it. And also at the same time, we want to express those emotions, joy, reverence. If we are emotionless in our music, if we're going, 
Okay, that's not letting your joy be known. And it says in the spirit of prophecy, the heart must feel the spirit of the song in order to give it right expression. You can look that up. The heart must feel the spirit of the song. So we need to have joy, right? It's not a sign of like ultra sanctified, you know, one-upsmanship of our Christian, uh, you know, demonstration of holiness to, to be emotionless. In fact, if we are not singing with joy, then we've got a problem with the council. So we got to be faithful to the council and make sure we have joy in our singing. So yeah, it's not a sign of holiness to, to be singing emotionless. Yeah, well, thank you so much for that answer. We do have another question that came in here. Um, William Mack says, what am I hearing about the Christian group out of Australia that everyone thought was okay? Do you know what he's talking about? Yeah, Hillsong. Okay, Hillsong. Yep. Mm -hmm. I, I haven't followed them really closely, but I, I occasionally uh, saw headlines on Christian news websites about you know them being a little bit more along the lines of accepting LGBT and some things where theologically we'd be like, whoa, what direction are they going? Um, Christiannews.net are where I saw those headlines. And I'm giving you very little right now because I'm not an expert on Hillsong. I just, I'm giving you a resource. If you go to that website, Christiannews.net, put into the search Hillsong. And I, I think they've been covering Hillsong to a certain extent in terms of some of the uh, more scandalous aspects of uh, and not that we want to delight in scandal and stuff, but I don't want to be involved with the contemporary Christian music scene when the musical style is not sacred, first of all. And then second of all, the worldview of those performing is not is not along the lines of the three angels messages. Right. I mean, so, uh, yeah, I, I, I think just look into them more. I don't have a lot to say other than that, but they, they are playing a style by and large playing a musical style that we would not uh, recognize as sacred. All right. Yeah. Thank you so much, Scott. Um, is there any final words you want to leave us with um, before we join you again this afternoon at 4.30 Eastern time, 3.30 Central time for your part two on Media yeah, on the that, Brain? I was going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say my final words are to come at 4.30 Eastern time. But, you know, can I underscore and emphasize the importance of what we behold instead of the worldly media? The of these ye may freely eat, the turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and then the things of this earth grow strangely dim. And I wish I could spend the time right now to talk about recovery from these habits and it's addiction, media addiction, and how much joy that brings and how much freedom and peace that brings. Um, but yeah, I've got a lot of material. We've, we've shown people how they can access that. And this afternoon, we will talk about the media mind. We're going to talk a lot more about social media and smartphone use and family relationships and child development and all of that. So this morning was kind of the expose on the worldly media. This afternoon is totally different. It's a new seminar called the media mind. And um, so we're done with media on the brain for the day. I hope folks enjoyed it. You can send us an email at beltoftruthministries at gmail.com. Get your freebie and your discount code, and you can contact me that way as well. If you want to address me personally, ask any questions, um, that'll be forwarded right to me. So that's it. Thank you, Christy, for hosting, and thanks, everybody, for being here for the morning session. I'll see you all at 430.
Thanks so much, Scott. See you. Bye-bye. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.